your covenant people. And Father, we pray tonight, Lord God, for peace in Israel. I pray, Father God, for the demonic attack that has been against them, Lord. Lord, would cease and assist. I pray that the very, the hostages would be released and rescued, Lord. I pray, Father God, against that they would thwart every attack of the enemy, every strategy that they have. I pray, Father God, for the safety in Israel. I pray, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that the very earth would open up and begin to help protect. I pray, Lord God, the missiles shot into Israel would fall to nothing. I ask, Almighty God, that you would bring forth, Lord God, mighty righteous judgment, Lord God, against those that attack in Jesus' name. And, Father, we ask these things. We pray, Father God, for our brothers and sisters in Israel. We pray, Father God, that you would protect them, Lord, and keep them, Lord, in this hour. In Jesus' name, I pray, Lord, for the grieving families, Lord God, that you would comfort tonight. And, Lord, we give praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is merciful. Amen. God is merciful. Let's continue to pray. Praise God. Uh, before you're seated, Renee, stand up and tell us what the doctor told you this week. And let's just back up to a Saturday prayer meeting. She came down to have prayer on her face because of some cancer. And uh, what did the doctors tell you? <laughs> now, what were they initially planning to do? Praise God. She got, to, she got to tell them how her healing came because Jesus did it. Amen. Amen. Sister Lemus came down last Sunday, was just pain in her stomach. Two Sundays ago, uh, she got a good uh, report from the doctor, zero cancer, and she's doing great. Praise God. Donald Lutherback asked if we would lift him up tonight. Also, Shelby Graham's going into surgery tomorrow, Tawana on Monday, Caitlin on next Wednesday. Lift, lift them up before the Lord right now. Father, in Jesus' name, we know that you are the healer and the healing. And, Lord, I just believe, we just want to thank you, Lord, for the healing in the house. And, Lord, we pray that your protection will be upon those that are having surgery. I pray, God, that they would astound the doctors, have a speedy recovery. Lord God, I pray that you would heal them to the utmost. I pray for Donald tonight that, Lord, that they would not only diagnose, but, Lord, his body would be cured in Jesus' name, and that he would have total healing tonight. And everyone has said amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated tonight. <laughs> Praise God. Keep on. That's right. That's right. We we've uh, we're learning uh, we're learning how to be healed. Amen. Absolutely. Ray's sister needs needs a touch in her body. She's got cancer, and we know the God that heals cancer. Amen. <clears throat> I want you I want you to take your Bibles tonight, and we're going to get as far as we can. Uh, whatever we don't cover, we'll, we'll make up for it next week. And I'm going to leave all the announcements to Andrew at the end. And so uh, I want you to look here. I want to start in Genesis. And I'm, I'm calling this the Eden Project. The Eden Project. And we're going to start with, with, with Genesis, the, the second chapter, and jump over to Revelations. Father, we just pray, Father, that you would bring revelation in the house. 
And Lord, understanding of your word, that we can understand more richly and deeply our purpose, Lord God, to be about our Father's business. And Lord, I just pray that we would leave this house ever more convinced that you are for us. And if God be for us, then Lord, who and what can be against us? In Jesus' name. The crisis in Israel tells us that, folks, there's a lot of work to be done. Amen? And the time of our departure is, is getting ever closer. But I want you to look here in Genesis 2 and to know where God is taking us. And when you study the Word of God, we've got to understand, to understand where God's taking us, we've got to know where we've been. So we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. And so if we desire to know the finish, we've got to understand the beginning, where God started out the plan. And so we're calling this the Eden Project. And tonight I want to talk to you about and I want to show you some, some patterns in the Word of God. And patterns become prophecy. Patterns become prophecy in the Word of God because what God did before if we can link it to the, to the next step, and I'll show you that as we move through the Scriptures. It, if he, he starts somewhere, and then he begins to move, and he does it similarities in another place, and in another place, and another place. It's a pattern. And what he's wanting us to do is pick up on the breadcrumbs and follow where he's taking us to the ultimate end. But I'm going to give you the beginning and the end right up front, okay? All right, So, and then we're going to talk about the between tonight. But we start in Genesis 2. The Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Now, Eden is defined as the, the, original, the original garden home designer was the Lord because Eden means the garden home of Adam and Eve. But it means more than that. It means the dwelling place of God on earth. Eden was not just a, a, a garden that God created just for Adam and Eve, but it is the dwelling place, the dwelling place where God would come down and he would commune with man in the cool of the day. Now, we understand and we'll see in this that, that man was banished from that place because of sin. But we fast forward all the way to the end in Revelations 21, and now here is John. He said, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And verse 3 is what I want you to see. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be to them and be their God. So we started there at the beginning, and God's desire was to dwell with man. Where are we going? We understand that at the very end, in the consummation of the age, whenever the, the entirety of the world becomes new, we understand that God now tabernacles with man, and he is there as the dwelling we have the dwelling in the end. We have the dwelling in the beginning. That, when, you, when I say Eden Project, what I'm talking about is God dwelling among his people. God dwelling among his people. So as we look here, I want us to see our purpose. Let's look in Genesis 1 
and 26. This is going to be a scripture-heavy message, and if you're taking notes, if you don't want to take notes and you want the notes, I'll make, I'll make them available to you. But if we understand our purpose, we got to start at our genesis, our beginning, where God created us and what he intends for us. And what he intended for us from the beginning is what, is he, what he intends for us now. It is. It is absolutely what his purpose is. And if you'll find your purpose in Genesis, in your Genesis, in Genesis 26, verses 26, I'm sorry, Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. Then the Lord said, let us make man in our image. What is the purpose of God for your life and for my life? To be in the image of God. To walk in the image of the Lord. To reflect him in this earth. To walk in the image. That is the first thing. According to our likeness, let him have dominion. It is, was the, always the intent of God when he created this realm for man to have dominion on the earth. Now, man had given up that authority when he sinned. God didn't lose his authority, but man lost their authority. And see, when we see death all around, we need to understand this truth. God is not the origin, originator of death. Man brought death into the world. So we look here, have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, cattle, all, all of the earth, and every creeping thing. <laughs> the Lord goes from the, he said, the sky above and the sea below and the earth, all the way down to the little creepy crawlies. <laughs> Man has have authority over that. So God created him in his own image, and in his image, male and female, he created them. But then he tells him in Genesis 2.15, so we've got this, this garden that I have given you. This is your dwelling place. This is where you will dwell. This is where I will dwell. Now, I want you to go out in Genesis 2.15. Then the Lord said, Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden, the garden home, and to tend. That means to cultivate and to keep. What is your job on earth, Adam? You've got to cultivate. You've got to cultivate. We'll discover in just a few minutes that they were banished from that garden. So what does that tell us about the garden? Because we, we think in our own mind that when God created the heavens and the earth, the whole earth was the garden of Eden. No, because you can't be thrown out of something that is out there when you get out there. You know what I mean? It, there's a parameter. There's a parameter of the garden of Eden. Otherwise, there wouldn't be an outside and an inside. There's got to be just a, so there within, I don't know how large it is. There's no landmass. There's no description as to how far reaching. We see rivers that are there. We don't, we don't know those. We don't have that information. But what we do know is the will of God was for Adam to expand the garden throughout the whole of the earth. So if you're expanding the garden, what are you ultimately doing? You're widening the place of the dwelling of God. This is called the Eden Project. It, it is moving the boundaries of the dwelling of God on earth. It is a cultivation of that. We see even in the New Testament, whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. As we as children of God, I'm getting way ahead of myself, but we are, what are we to do? We are to cultivate what? The dwelling place of God. Love what Murray says. He says, the work of the Spirit is to build up a habitation for God. The work of the Holy Spirit in our life is to do what? Is to 
build the habitation of the Lord and to expand the dwelling place of God on earth. Are you tracking with me? Is this making sense to you? We're expanding the dwelling place of God. It's called the Eden. We're calling it the Eden Project. But we see also we are, our purpose is image bearers on earth, having dominion over this earth and tending and taking care and cultivating this earth. But man's other privilege and purpose, if you will, is he would walk with the Lord in the cool of the day. There was fellowship. There was communion. There, it's sad to me that we, there are those that live in the world that have no personal relationship with a living God. There's lots of, there's lots of forms of worship that are out there, but the forms of worship that do not include a relationship with a truly living God who is the Lord God only is a sad, a sad experience on earth. Amen? Are you hearing what I'm saying? So as we look at this, this is where we've got the dwelling. We're talking about dwellings, doors, and arcs. And we're following these patterns that God is setting out. So the dwelling here is Eden. And then we understand when man fell that now all of a the sudden there was a banishment of man. That door, the gate, the entrance into the place of God dwelling on earth was closed to man. Do you see that? How do we know that? Because there was an angel who was standing with a sword, not allowing man back into the garden, back into the dwelling. So maybe the enemy thought, ha, my plans have succeeded. There is the door is closed. There's no more access. I can run rampant because man has forfeited their authority to me. And I can do just anything and everything that I want to do. And if you look through some modern some studies we have today, you will discover if you look at Michael Hauser, if you look at Jonathan Kahn, if you if you just do a little bit of research, you'll find out. From Genesis, from the fall of man uh, to the flood, there was some, after chapter 11 to the, to the building of Babylon, you find some pretty wicked stuff going on. Some pretty amazingly wicked things that are going on. And see, we, the enemy thought, he, wow, man, I've got this thing all cinched up, and God's closed the door, and I'm just going to run rampant. But what he didn't know is in the midst of all the wickedness, God had a plan. God had a plan, and he wasn't going to thwart the plan. He wasn't going to stop the plan. He wasn't going to wad up that paper as the writer is there on the typewriter and just can't get their thoughts clear, so they rip the page out, wad it up, and throw it down. No, the Lord had already written it before the foundation of time. He knew what he was going to do. He's the author and the finisher of the faith, so he never starts something he doesn't finish. So what we have here. As wickedness becomes so rampant in the land, on earth, in this flood time, the pre-flood time, we have, we have here the, a situation where the Lord accelerates the death by bringing judgment. Because man would continue on this exponential cycle 
of destroying themselves if left to themselves. Why did the Lord, see, God brought the judgment and he accelerated what was already there. And that was the evilness of man's heart. See, every measure of evil comes into this world via the heart of man. What's happened in Israel might have been conjured up in hell, but hell had to have a man in order for that evil to be propagated on the earth. But on the same hand, on the other hand, I would say that the only way good can come into this world is there has to be a a, a divine plan from heaven and God uses man in order to bring good upon the earth. I'm not going to take time to unpack that, but if you'll take some time to think about it, you can begin to understand your purpose here on earth. But you see that when we look at this, we see that God did not abandon his plan. There was an acceleration of death that brought a judgment from God. It was a flood, but before the flood, he called out a man by the name of Noah. And he said, Noah, I want you to go build an ark. This ark that you will build, you will get into. And you will not just get into it, you're going to take all the seeds with you. You're going to take the animals with you. You're going to take your family with you, and you're going to get into this ark. What was God doing? He was preserving He was preserving Eden. You got a houseboat now. We went from a garden home to a houseboat. See, because the Lord was going to come through from, you read the lineage, from Adam all the way to Christ. See, so when Noah got in the ark, Christ got in the ark. So there's a preservation of Eden. What is Eden? It's the dwelling place of God. So he's preserving this. There's the dwelling, which is Eden. The door was closed. And now you've got all the seeds to replenish the earth. He put it in the ark. He preserved that. And he's carrying that ark forth. Now, they get out of the ark. (laughs) What did they do? They went right back to the very thing that they... (laughs) So they went to pre-flood activity again. How do we know that? Babylon. They began to build it. It wasn't just a tower up to heaven. It was a zugerment. It was a, it was a, they were trying to tap into, the, uh, tap into the unseen realm. They were trying to bring forth the debauchery. There were, the Bible says that there were giants before the flood. There's giants after the flood. I'm not going to get into the details of that. But what I will tell you is that now all of a the sudden there was a, there was a disruption because what we have uh, uh, pre-flood is now happening post-flood. So... We had this all the way up to Genesis 11, but in Genesis 12, we see something that happens uh, uh, beautifully. God takes out of all the, you have a lot of history from Genesis 1 to Genesis 11, but in Genesis 12, God picks out a man. There was a hard stop that took place. All right, we're flying like warp speed through the space. You've seen the space movies. And then all of a sudden, we stop. We're here. 
where we're here. We're here because God now takes a man out of the nations, out of all of the, the table of nations, and he chooses a man who is not able to even produce any nations in himself. He and his wife are both without the ability to bear children. They are past age, and God said, now I'm going to, Abraham, I want you to come out here, and I want you to look at the stars of the heaven. You see that? That's going to be the number of your seed. You look at the sands of the seashore, that's going to be the number of your seed. Right now, the number of the seed on the sand, the natural seed of Abraham are being attacked over there. We are sitting here tonight as the spiritual seed of Abraham. Do you see that? Well, God does these things in the process of time. He's like, okay, they need to know that I haven't abandoned the Eden project. Well, there's a man named Moses, and he gets the details of the new dwelling place of God on earth. It's called the tabernacle. It'll become the temple. So we start out with the, we start out with the, with the dwelling. Now it is amazing that God would just didn't want us to miss it. See, the, the, the tabernacle is so Eden-esque. It is so Eden-esque. The Lord continues this with the imagery that he that he that he had woven in that he had he casted and he forged and he sewn it into the tapestry so much so in the dwelling place there it was the the tabernacle was always to be east facing just like the parallel that of 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 eden in fact many call the tabernacle a mini eden so it had the east facing entrance had the gold the tree of life represented by the lampstand tree of the knowledge there, that's the law. But what's amazing enough is that woven within the tapestry, who was guarding the gate? If you look, it won't take you very long. You can look in Scripture, but you can look at images. And the veil that separated the holies from the most holies, woven into the tapestry, cherubs, angels. But the Lord gives us a little glimpse. See, we got the dwelling place, which is, are you, we got the dwelling. God's place on earth. We got the mini Eden going on here. And with the mini Eden, we have the imagery of Eden inside of there. And we also have the veil. The veil was the barrier between God and man. Not just anybody could get in past that veil. You wouldn't want to go in there unless you were ordained of God with the blood sacrifice to go in because you, you wouldn't get out. Now, you can't find it in Scripture. It's only in, in, in maybe a legend or, or, or some other extra-biblical writing, but, you know, they'd say they'd tie a rope on the, on the, the priest's leg, and if he stopped jingling because of the bells on his, on his bottom, they'd drag him out. That's not scriptural. It's not in Scripture. I don't think there's any high priest that was bold enough to walk in there lest they were ready. Amen? <laughs> so, but what we do have is an idea an understanding, a glimpse of what God is doing. There's the dwelling place, the mini Eden on earth, the tabernacle. And then the veil was there. And see that veil, <laughs> that veil, you can see this in the scriptures. That the Ark of the Covenant, this golden chest made of wood. The first, the first ark was made of wood, but now we've got we got to zero in because when you get gold involved, it's a 
it's, we, we understand it has a spiritual significance. We think about gold in, the, in heaven being pavement. It, we shouldn't look at it that way. We should look at it as when we see gold in Scripture, it is a pathway to things that are spiritual. So we've got wood now, and it's overlaid with gold. It's overlaid with gold. Can I just throw a real quick nugget in on top of you before I go any further? If you go back and you see the ark that Noah made, the Bible says he made it of wood, and then he had to cover it in pitch. That word pitch is kofar. It literally means atonement. It means the redemptive price. It means a ransom. That boat wouldn't float without atonement. It's going to sink if it's not atoned. <laughs> It'll drop in a minute. That penny will drop in a minute. So we've got the, we've got the, the wooden chest, and now it's overlaid with gold. So we, we zero in, and we understand this is, a, this is a spiritual thing God wants us to see inside and out. We'll talk more about the ark next week, of the ark of the covenant, the ark of God, the ark of the testimony, all the names that are synonymous with that ark. But in that ark, what we have there is poles that were put into the four rings that were there. And this is the glimpse that God gave us that he's up to something. That barrier, the door that kept man away from that holy dwelling of God, that veil draped over the poles that were on that ark, given some access. Mm. Given some access. Folks, can you see it? Folks, can you see it? Eden was closed. It shut off. You ain't, you ain't getting back there. It was, it's gone. But I haven't given up on you. In fact, I'm going to build a house, and in this house, I'm going to give instruction. Every minute detail, I'm going to instruct Moses to build. And when he builds it, we're going to have an ark. That's going to represent me. And now that ark is going to sit there because the Bible says that the Lord would meet them at that holy place. It's a, and so they get there, and now you, you walk in. If you were able to walk in, you would look over at the altar of incense, and just behind there, the Bible says the poles couldn't see, be seen on the outside of the tent, but on the inside of the tent, it would be draped over the poles. <laughs> so there's, how did the priest get to the holies of holies, uh, he would. I just believe that he had to fall on his all fours, uh, and he would first off kind of ease that that altar of incense in there and let it kind of fill up uh, all the way. Uh, and then he's got the blood sacrifice, and he kind of inched up in there. Uh, and when he got up there, he would he would dab uh, that mercy seat uh, with the with the blood of the sacrifice. And then he would come back out and say, "To Telestai, it is finished." So, but anyway, you look here. What you see is you got the dwelling place of God. You got the door. Instead of having denied access, we've got limited access, but we've got access. See, we started with a pattern. Once a year, the high priest is the only one that could go in. But oh, so we go from God's creation, dwelling place, fall of man, there was a door, door was closed. There was an ark. We got into the ark. Then comes the house of God, and it was a mobile house. You could move from... 
went from a garden home to a boathouse. Let's call it an RV. That sounds better. It's portable. You can move it. God forgive me. But it was. I mean, but the door was cracked. Amen? The door was cracked. First Kings uh, 8 and 8, you'll see the, the polls if you want reference there. Now, New Testament reality. What are we following? We're following the breadcrumbs. <laughs> We're following. Lord, you did it then. You said you're going to do it at the end, but Eden? Ark? Mini Eden? Now we're New Testament. New Testament, we discover that there's a such rich, profound revelation. We've got a new dwelling. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? We got a door. Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep. When Jesus cried out, just to punctuate the fact that the door would be open, when he cried out upon the cross that Eden guardian, that cherubim that represented the original garden was there in the tabernacle woven into the fabric of the door that was keeping man limited to the access of God, limited to the access to the presence, the image, the communion, the cultivation of the furtherance of Eden. Now we have here a situation where God takes and he rips the veil from top to bottom, giving full access to man on earth. In their hearts. So man now becomes the new dwelling place of God. Man's heart, if we understand that the veil is the flesh of Jesus, Hebrews tells us that, that he tore, he made the way, he opened the door, he allowed us access into heaven and what is our job? Our job is still what it's always been, and that is to cultivate, to continue to expand the dwelling place of God on earth by being image bearers, by cultivating, by communing with God, by having dominion and understanding. Now, if we go back to the judgment, what I want you to see is that there was an acceleration of judgment, acceleration of death, and it came to judgment by the form of the flood. Then you see that the Israelites would carry the Ark of the Covenant. We got into the Ark the first time. Now we're carrying as priests. We're carrying the Ark. And when they went into the place of promise, now what we see is that God, because they were doing what they did before, now God is going to, he's going to accelerate that death in the promised land and he's going to bring judgment, but it's not going to be a flood. It's going to be by a covenant people entering into that place and dispossessing all that profane behavior and the evil and so that he can bring preservation to humanity. But when Jesus came, 
He hung upon the cross, and all judgment became rested upon him. And now he accelerated death in himself and brought the judgment to him so that now we would no longer just get into the ark nor carry the ark, but now the ark would be inside of us. And now we declare in a flood-type manner that we go out and tell the world that judgment has been taken care of if you come to the cross and you open your heart so that God may dwell inside of you. Amen. Now, all of that said, this is what I want to get to. (laughs) We are, do you agree with me, we are the dwelling place of God on earth? We're the dwelling place of God on earth. Time would allow, I'd tell you about our God in Israel, in Jerusalem. How that he spoke to us, and we were so saddened by it as we were there at the Wailing Wall. And he said, you know, there's a temple up here. He said, can you imagine there was once a day where the presence of God could be felt and experienced on earth? We were like... Can you not hear us? <laughs> yes, he can, and he is, and he's right now, and he's in us, and we are the dwelling place. We are the new Eden. We'll get further detail in the ark next week, but what I want you to see is that the covering of the covenant articles in that golden chest was a wasn't made out of wood it's called the the lid it was called the it was the lid of the chest of the ark of the covenant it's called the mercy seat it was solid gold had two cherubims that were on either end and they were facing one another and the bible says that they were looking at the mercy seat which tells me they were bowing they were looking at the mercy seat The Lord says in Exodus 25, he said, right there on that blood-stained mercy seat, Moses, Aaron, that's where I will meet with you. So angels guarded Eden. Angels guarded the holies of holies. Then we look ahead at the death of Christ, and then the burial of Christ. And on the third day, they rolled away the stone. John 20 and 12 said, And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet of where Jesus had lain. mercy seat, though as grand and as wonderful it was, made a pure gold that tells us this is a spiritual insight because we're looking at the value. 
solid gold sitting there year after year. The priests would go in and they had to go in every year in order to make atonement to continue to put pitch. <laughs> they were still putting pitch on the ark. <laughs> they were still putting, they were still making that atoning sacrifice, looking forward to a day where the true mercy seat would come from the true high priest. And when the true high priest came, they laid his body in that grave, which, which now has become the mercy seat. How do we know that? Because God operates in patterns and those patterns become prophecy. And now we have an angel sitting there on either end on that blood-stained place. And we know that that is the true mercy seat and how they couldn't get access into Eden because of the cherubims and only the high priest could get in once a year. But now God has torn the veil and now he says to everyone, if you will meet me at the mercy seat, I will meet you. You at the mercy seat. My God, is that not good? So now we have full access to heaven. Where do we get it? Where God meets us. At the point of our death, he raises up. Praise God. I've got about two hours more, but I'm going to save it. The true mercy seat. It's the grave of Jesus Christ. When we, if we're raised with him, we can only be raised with him if we have died with him. And at the point where we surrender all is where he meets us and says, now, you get into the ark, you carry the ark, now I'm putting the ark in you. Now go cultivate my Eden. Go and expand my dwelling place. Go and live in my image. Walk in dominion. Walk in communion. And cultivate with me. And declare to them it's not a flood of judgment because I took the judgment. It's a flood of mercy. There will become, there will come a final day of judgment for all those that refuse the sacrifice of Christ. It is as sure as we are sitting here right now, and it will come. And God knows the time of that. We could be hearing the echoes, or we could be witnessing firsthand the end of days. Either way, we've got to be ready. And it tells me that we have a profound purpose, a beautiful calling of God to cultivate. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord God. We ask you, Lord, help us to be the living Houses of the Lord. Let us understand that we are the dwelling place of God on earth. Lord, I didn't even tell them that they're the gate of heaven. We are the house of God. We are the gate of heaven. Oh, Lord, let us understand this ark of Christ that is in us. Lord, I thank you and I magnify you. I'm going to ask Andrew to come right now, and she's going to 
She's going to help us here. And off to you, but I got to get to youth. <laughs> She's going to come give the announcements and, and close us out in prayer. And if the Lord